Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we talk about an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and my co-host... I'm Jason Harris, comedian, filmmaker, Pinewood Derby legend. <laughs> I actually did the Pinewood Derby. I did too. I always won most creative because uh, my cousins gave me ideas, and once I shaped the car like a hot dog, and once I did it like a corn on the cob. Oh, nice. I think mine was blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have a lot of kids in your Pinewood Derby whose like dads took it so seriously and like they needed to win? Yeah, I don't think neither I nor my dad cared at all about the Pinewood Derby. My hot dog car became like, you know, like uh, something of a, a fan favorite and it beat all these other cars that should have beaten it. And I think it made it to like the regionals or whatnot. So um, I am a Pinewood Derby legend. You are. Yeah, I lost. Um, so anyway, in this episode of the Pinewood Derby podcast, we uh, in this season, we're talking about the movies of 1994. And in this episode, we are talking about uh, our pick for a cult classic, which we had a lot of discussion about which one to choose. And Jason suggested what I thought was uh, a very smart choice. The uh, Italian or Italian British. I don't know. It's a weird mishmash. It's a, co- it's a co-production. Yeah. It's an Italian film, but. It's funded by two or three different, you know, countries. Yeah, funds. it is uh, in Italian, Della Morte, Della More, uh, or Cemetery Man, which is how it's known uh, in the U.S., much less musical title here. Yeah, it almost uh, sounds like Solitary Man by Neil Diamond, but which is a much more musical title because it's an actual musical <laughs> yes, title, actual title to a piece of music. Thank so. you, Jason. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and this movie, um, we're talking about it, uh, in our 1994 season. Um, and it was released in, in Italy in 1994, but it didn't make it to the U S until April, 1996, uh, when it grossed $253,969, according to IMDb, which is not bad for something that we're noting for being obscure. It probably did pretty well on video out here to yeah. get that nice cult audience. You know? Yeah. I think that's most likely where people uh, first saw it. Um, and uh, although as, as I was just telling our uh, wonderful producer, David Rosen uh, before we started um, this movie is kind of hard to find now. Um, it's not streaming anywhere. And the DVD that you and I watched that uh, I got from our local library system, shout out to the Las Vegas Clark County library district. Whoop, whoop. No, who I, I are great, actually. I get lots of movies from the library, but that DVD is out of print. And so it is a bit tough to find now for people who want to see it. So I'm off the hook for not having seen this one. Right? <laughs> That's your gimmick at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you're right that that uh, a lot of people probably saw it on, on VHS and on DVD when it was first uh, released on home video. And that was how this cult following uh, built up, but neither of us had seen it before. We just watched it recently. No, and I will admit I had not heard of it until we were researching the season. I had heard of it, and uh, again, as I was as I was telling Dave earlier, um, I had had it in my Netflix uh, DVD queue, which I still subscribe to uh, for a long time as just a movie that I wanted to see among many many others. And at some point, it had shifted from uh, short weight or something that they have designated there to unavailable because again, the DVD is out of print and somebody damages it or loses it. And Netflix never bothers to buy another one, but it's a movie that for years I had wanted to see. So I was glad to have the opportunity. So the podcast has finally paid off for you. <laughs> it has <laughs> got me to watch 
Cemetery Man, uh, directed by uh, Michel Suave, who began his career as uh, an assistant to Dario Argento, uh, a much more famous uh, Italian horror director, and, uh, and based on a novel uh, from 1991 by a name of a person that I did not write down. Tishian Sclavi. There you go. Uh, who is also the creator of the comic book character Dylan Dog, uh, who's very, very famous in Italy and has gotten some traction in the U.S. And I think there was a Dylan Dog movie a few years ago, possibly. I don't know, but I do want to make one correction. This Please. was Italy, France, and Germany that co-funded okay. this production. And yet, British guy Rupert Everett is the star of it. Yeah, and I think it was released in uh, Italian language and English, obviously. Right, yeah. And you can tell, I mean, like a lot of Italian genre movies, horror movies, and spaghetti westerns, this movie is is all dubbed regardless of what language the actors were actually speaking on set. Part of their charm. Yeah, I think so. It's something that you come to expect out of movies like this. Um, this movie did not win any major or minor awards that I could find. Nor should it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it has amassed uh, a cult following uh, over the years, especially I think among fans of uh, of Italian horror films like directors like Dario Argento. And I had actually seen another Michelle Suave movie before this, which I didn't even realize, called The Church, which is more of a straight horror movie. Interesting. Was that a good film? No, it was not. Okay. Um, but it is probably his most well known movie aside from this. This is definitely his most well known movie overall. But I think on like Letterboxd, if you rank popularity, that comes in second. And it's uh, from, I think, I think from the 80s um, and is, is more of a, you can see a lot of Dario Argento influences in that movie more so than this one. Um, are you an Italian horror fan, Jason? Uh, I'm not anti-Italian horror. I don't, I don't know a huge amount about the genre, but I love that movies like this were getting made and hopefully are still getting made, you know, in other countries because a film like this, I don't think, you know, really at this point in the U S it would have to be a total independent effort, right. Of like some dudes who put together $16,000 to make a movie. Right. Yeah. No one's really doing something like this, uh, film. So in that regard, again, you know, we go back to this, the nostalgia of a time past of where films and, uh, videotapes and DVDs were so big. You could make, Movies for sub sub genres. Right. And I think I would have been really excited if as like a teenager, I had stumbled across this at the video store and rented it. Uh, I agree. Just for Anna Fauci alone, she is <laughs> the main female and she is quite stunning as a, uh, a lovely specimen. She is indeed. So a teenager <laughs> would enjoy that aspect of the movie. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, we, that may come up again here in our the reviews, and these would all have been from 1996 when this movie was released in the U.S. Uh, we'll start with Deborah Young in Variety, uh, who said, A hip, offbeat horror item floating on a bed of dark philosophy. Della Morte Della More is a deceptively easy genre picture with hidden depths. Based on a famous Italian comic strip, which that's not true. Uh, film top lines Rupert Everett as a romantic grave digger more at ease with zombies than human beings. Helmer Michelle Soavi, a former assistant to Dario Argento, comes into his own with this personal pick balancing gore, sex, laughs, and youthful despair. So she liked it. Well, yeah, I would disagree with almost everything she said. First of all, anyone who says hip usually knows nothing about what's that's, hip, That's right? fair, yeah, unless hip, they're using it ironically. Yeah, it's like hip is what you say 
about someone's mom jeans or something like that, right? Um, I don't know how this could be a personal picture. I never got like, oh man, this really comes from, a, a, you know, his his uh, past as a as a caretaker of a cemetery, killing, re-killing the dead as they reanimate themselves back to life. I mean, not literally, but maybe he had some uh, sexual issues uh, in his past. Yeah, it's possible. Okay, that's possible. <laughs> um, all right. Stephen Holden in the New York Times says, obviously Cemetery Man is not a conventional horror movie, but what is it? For all the repulsive goings on, the movie is oddly unscary. And after a certain number of zombies have rattled around the old graveyard, it all begins to seem terribly repetitive. If Cemetery Man generated any laughter, that question might be worth asking. But the harder the film strains toward comic outrageousness, the more chaotic it becomes. I don't think this is meant to be scary, though. I don't either. And I think that review could have uh, stopped after. But what is it? Because yeah. <laughs> I watched this and I said, but what is it? What is this? Yes. What is it? What am I watching? I, I, is yes. this a movie? So, right. You know. I agree. I think maybe my reaction that I quoted to what happened was, which was, what? <laughs> Yeah, okay. Might might be uh, a way to describe this one as well. And mine would have just been, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and uh, to get back to your uh, previous point, um, oh, you know what? I think I might have left it out. But one of this might have been the review that mentioned uh, the lovely female star, but I don't think I quoted that part. Mick LaSalle in the San Francisco Chronicle said, the worst thing that can be said for Cemetery Man is that it's out of control. It's as if the filmmakers were following random impulses, tossing anything on screen and then repenting by flailing in all directions for a meaning to it all. Some patches are dull, others are irritating and puerile. In the end, Cemetery Man seems to be a pointless exercise. Yet there are things to enjoy in the film. It aims high and misses, but it does hold interest with visual flash, wry humor, and a couple of sex scenes that can make steam come out of your ears. So he did like that part. With NF Halchi. Yes. I think there might have been, it might have been him or some other reviewer that uh, more specifically mentioned her uh, charms. She's, she's stunning physics. She's a, she's a good actress in this film also. Yeah. But she's like, you know, whoa, like amazing looking. And Rupert Everett, quite a hunk. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of sex appeal going there on. There is, and this. he's got his shirt off a lot in this movie. Yeah. Clear, clearly worked out. Uh, before this it's very you know what you would expect an italian horror movie to be <laughs> yes. in that way also i wanted to say quickly that uh you know the literal translation of della morte dell'amore is about death about love or on the death of love and those are both better titles they are yeah clearly this is a movie that was you know it came out on home video in the u.s and some distributor decided it needed a more horror sounding hey, title it was that guy work cemetery He's a man. We'll call him Cemetery Man. <laughs> Thank you for your impression of a uh, studio executive. And scene. <laughs> uh, Not a studio executive. Uh, a low budget. Right. Yes. Uh, foreign. Uh, direct to video yeah. distributor. <laughs> Import yeah. export. Yeah. Uh, all right. On that note, uh, we will uh, take a break and return to talk about our general thoughts on Cemetery Man. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in our season on the films of 1994. And in this episode, we are talking about a cult classic, Cemetery Man or Della Morte Della More, the Italian, what was it? Italian, French, German co-production? Yeah, you got it. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> starring Rupert Everett as Francisco Della More, 
the caretaker of a cemetery where the dead, they, they come back to life a lot. Yeah, they come back to life. And then sometimes they don't come back to life. And then other things happen. And you're like, I guess that happened. And then, <laughs> then something else happens. You're like, oh, okay, that's a thing now. So um, as far as this filmmaking sense, and not so much. It definitely does not make sense. And I feel like that's okay uh, in some aspects. And, and we talked about earlier about the general uh, sense of Italian horror films. And having seen some Dario Argento and Mario Bava films, and having seen one previous Michelle Suave film, I did not expect this movie to make sense. Um, but it is a bit frustrating, especially because I feel like at the beginning, it makes more sense. And you start off this movie kind of with a sense of what it is about and you think you have a handle on it and then it just goes right. in all sorts and, of crazy directions. Right, exactly. And it's like, there's a clear path of where it could go as a film and then it just says, nope, we're not doing that. So. Yeah, because it starts out, I think it's got this comedic tone. The first scene, which is very deadpan, you see Rupert Everett, he's on the phone with his friend and it's like, oh, hold on a second. And uh, he's got a kind of casually shoot this zombie in the head like he's totally over it it happens all the time it's just what he's got to do it's part of his job is to kill the zombies when they come back to life you think it's going to be this dry humorous movie and it goes in all of these weird surreal sexually deviant directions yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then even uh later on so rupert everett's character uh francisco he falls in love at first sight with the beautiful woman played by, what was her name again? Anna Falci. Anna Falci, Jason's favorite part of this film, uh, who is very good and is very beautiful. Um, and she comes to the cemetery because her, her much older husband has died and he sees her mourning and he falls in love with her. And she seems to fall in love with him also right away. Yeah, like there's like 10 minutes, which movie time, maybe it's two weeks where she's like, I cannot, I am a widow. And then he like takes her to a, like a catacomb or something. The ossuary, I think is what it's called. Yeah, there you yeah. go. And she's like, oh, I always wanted to be in an ossuary. And then there's like a red cloth that comes out of nowhere. And she's like, now we're making it up. <laughs> she's Mario, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Having a pizza. No, but it was like, um, like they're talking and she's like, I can't. And then like this red cloth comes up from the ground and he hands it to her and he's like, She's like, I must, I guess. I don't know. I, I, to me, watching that scene, it seemed like she had some sort of death sexual fetish. Yeah. That she could only get turned on because he took her into this ossuary where it was full of skulls. Why was the cloth there, Josh? I wasn't. It was like a it was like a funeral shroud or something, I thought. Oh, maybe. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, she was attracted by the uh, the necromance. Yes, yes, she was. And so they make love. And uh, then... She accidentally gets killed. Yeah, but she gets bitten by a zombie. Right, which is the zombie of her dead husband. Yeah, what a jerk. <laughs> and um, But then that isn't what kills her, as we come to learn. Right, and uh, he thinks she's dead, and he has this sort of existential dilemma of, can I, she's going to return as a zombie because everyone in this cemetery returns as a zombie. Can I bring myself to kill her uh, because I love her? And he sure can. And he does. She pops up and he shoots her in the head. And then later on, he realizes in a way that I didn't quite understand that she was actually not dead. I think it's because he got bit, right? Later right. Later on and it didn't kill him. So maybe. But I don't know why she was appearing to be dead. 
Because he gets bit and he's just walking around. Oh, well, yeah. Again, we're trying to put, you know, this together in a uh, fashion that makes sense. And that's our first mistake. That so. is true. That is true. But the point I was trying to make here is that once she dies and comes back or appears to come back the first time, I thought this is going to be a movie about sort of the romance between him and this dead woman and his his conflict of whether he can get rid of her like warm bodies or something yeah like i wrote down warm bodies in my notes yes there Um, you go and of course that's not at all what this movie is about it goes a completely (laughs) different direction after that um we have a lot of dutch angles coming out of nowhere (laughs) which is fine um and then you know um then what happens is we are now in the middle of the city we meet the mayor you know and we meet them at the cemetery also and there's this uh scene with uh Rupert Everett and the mayor and all these like politicians and um and actually my real favorite part of the movie the dim-witted assistant Nagi Yagi yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. who only says yeah that's the <laughs> only thing he can say <laughs> he looks like uh I guess Curly from the Three Stooges. He did remind me a lot of a stooge. Yeah. And um, he falls in love with the mayor's 14-year-old daughter. Hey, it's Italy. It's the 90s. (laughs) Who are we to say? And uh, he he professes his love to her by throwing up all over her. Yes. And then this is what happens. He throws up on her and she goes, ah you threw up on me and then like this cool guy claudio rides up with a bike and she gets up and he's like hey, you got thrown up on he's like yeah and then they're like let's go for a ride on my bike and and they just ride on the motorcycle as if like they're like all right we'll just smell of vomit for the rest of the day you know but uh then they die on the motorcycle. yeah yeah they're riding on their motorcycles and they get in a crash with a bus full of like boy scouts it seemed like yeah and the boy scouts die and then all of the teenagers die too. Yeah, without any Pinewood Derby uh, greatness. <laughs> you know? We didn't even realize how relevant no. the Pinewood Derby was to this movie. I had no clue, but you know that this is uh, tied up already better than the film has. So. Yeah. But so you know now we're back in the cemetery. And, oh, by the way, the best thing about the crash was that they just cut to a close up of a horse watching the crash, and they leave like. <laughs> this camera on the horse watching this horrible bus accident for at least a second too long. And the, it's just a horse watching a bus accident. <laughs> I mean, they clearly didn't have the budget to stage an actual bus accident. I just imagine this pitching like, you know, like, and then after the crash, the horse is just watching this thing. You got to see this fucking horse. You got, you got the money. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the romance, if you want to call it that between Nyagi and the teenage daughter of the mayor is mainly just her severed head. Yeah. She comes back to life. Well, yes, you have to, you have to explain that Nyagi still cares very much for this, uh, young woman and he plays her uh his violin that's not an actual violin that somehow makes music even though it's just a piece of wood he's very talented he's putting together skull puzzles that right. rupert ever can't put yes, together yes francesco delamore can't put together but uh so he goes to her grave a lot and uh basically he smashes the grave is that what happened yeah he digs her i mean he's waiting for her to come back i right. think because he knows everyone does and finally sort of gets impatient, I guess. He digs up the grave and her coffin has like a glass front. Yeah. So he decapitates and, her. No, no, no. She was decapitated in the bus accident uh, and then they sewed her head back on for right. the funeral. Uh, but yeah, he smashes it and he tries to pull her out and ends up pulling her head off. And that's good enough for him. He just needs the head. Yeah, that's that's it. You know, um, um, hey, 
<laughs> no judgment. And he uh, he puts he then he puts her head in his uh, smashed TV that 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 Francisco had previously shot up. So she sort of looks like Max Headroom. Yeah, she's in a just way. sitting in like this broken TV. And there's some great shots through the TV through the yeah, back where they yeah. pull through and um and she's kind of like entertaining him because he doesn't have his TV anymore. And he loves her and he's making her spaghetti. And it, yeah, and she seems to be kind of into it all. Yeah, there. I mean, look, after you're dead and all that's left of you is a head, like, you know, you, you kind of take what you can get, I guess, at that point. Right, time, right. So. Yeah. So that's a, I mean, but that, as, as much time as we've just spent talking about it, is like just a subplot of the movie. The main plot is about Francisco's sort of, uh, existential crisis yeah as he keeps encountering anna falci as different people she's three different characters in this film yes she's the first the woman he sees as a mourner the widow and then she's later the assistant to the new mayor yes and then even later she is a prostitute i guess okay (laughs) (laughs) she's someone he meets in a bar along with her friend and uh she takes him home and he again has fallen in love with her immediately and he thinks that she has also fallen in love with him and they make love and then he gets up to leave and her friend her roommate or whatever says you got to pay for it yeah so then he just burns the apartment down and yes, kills them and all kills them. it becomes like a mass murderer just out of nowhere he really much, yeah, yeah that was i think the hardest thing for me to accept in this movie is that as weird as it is and he does accidentally kill the first Anna Falci, but he doesn't mean to. He thinks she's a zombie. Yeah. And then he has a whole whole guilt trip about it. Right. And then later on, he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to kill some people. Yeah. So he goes into the middle of town where all these like shit talkers are talking shit about him and he just shoots them all for no reason. So. Yeah. And then later, after he's burned down the home of the prostitutes, he gets all mad at his friend who has taken credit for it. Right, he doesn't get the credit for his kills. As uh, many serial killers in real life would be upset about that. Right, but I didn't understand why he became a serial killer, how he leapt from bored uh, cemetery uh, attendant who takes care of the zombies so that he doesn't have to file a report about it to guy who just kills people. You know who we should ask? The horse. (laughs) He, he, he watched it all in silence. If you guys told me that this whole plot description was just like an improv exercise between the two of you, I'd totally believe you because none of this makes any sense You would to me. say it's a horrible improvisation. We're not yes-ending anything. We're like, That's true. Right. And uh, after 20 minutes, then we shift into a whole nother zone. But we'll bring back Anna Fauci because why not, you know? And uh, um, yeah. I yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like even with all of this insanity, I was with this movie for maybe the first half of it. It did have, I wrote down some of the lines that I really liked, yeah. you know, when they were first describing uh, Nagy, they said uh, he has dis- distinctive physical marks, all of them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Um, after Rupert uh, Francisco kills Valentina's head again, after she's, Oh, the, the teenage daughter. Yeah. yeah. Talk yeah. about a deadhead. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't in the movie. Was No, that was just your line. Yeah, that one was. That yeah. was in the movie? I didn't know that, that wasn't. Oh, no, okay, that yeah. was just me right now being right. hilarious. But she does. <laughs> he does say the world is full of girls like that and they have bodies too. So that's, yeah, good, that's too. good. I mean, this movie is a comedy. Yeah. And it is funny. There's one character who's in love with Claudio, the the uh, motorcycle riding bad boy. And even after he dies, she wants to be with him and she keeps coming back and, you know, uh, she rides with him at night and 
uh you know the rupert everett finds uh uh reanimated claudio and he's about to shoot him and the and the and the uh, teenage girl who's in love with him says please don't he's only eating me yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's funny and uh Nyagi is also sort of a, a play on like igor the frankenstein assistant you know the hunchback I think he's got a lot of that to him. Yeah, but then, so let's get to act three. <laughs> cut to act three, baby. Um, so now, Rupert Everett's in the hospital because... The it's because his friend is in a coma. Right, wait. The so, one who took credit for the murders. Okay, wait, what, at what point? Wait, wait before we get there, <laughs> we have to talk about this whole thing about the impotence, you know? Right, he wants him to cut his dick off. Yeah, because yeah. it's very strange. I don't... I'm going to try to piece this together. So, yeah. There's a rumor about him that he's impotent. Right, which is not true. That's not what true. The, the, we were talking earlier about the guys in town who are talking shit yeah. about him. That's what they say, that right. he's impotent. And meanwhile, he's sexing up Anna Fauci in, in the uh, cemetery uh, with a, an erection. Yeah, alive <laughs> or dead, he's able to get it up yeah. no matter what. So, so that's a lie. But then Anna Fauci comes back, and now she... Is this is the mayor's assistant one? I right. Think. Yes, the second NFL. She's scared team. of sex, right? <laughs> and she's only willing to have sex with an impotent man. That's right? why she likes him because she's heard that he's impotent, right? Which he's clearly not. But he does go to the hospital and he's like, "Eh, just cut it off. Why not?" But instead, the guy shoots him in the dick with a needle to make him impotent temporarily. Right. Which I feel like is a. Uh, an ethical decision on the doctor's part to not cut his dick off. Yeah, but it did look very painful when it, he it was, did. you know. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and then, of course, he goes back to her and says, uh, I'm all in now. And she is now in love with the mayor because he raped her. And that was that was a tough one to, to accept there, I have to say. Yes, problematic <laughs> is the right word for it. Um, well, you know, I, I, you know, look. I'm no defense lawyer here, but maybe is that worse or better than a mentally challenged man digging up a bodiless corpse and romancing a 14 year old severed head? I mean, I feel like that is so out there and supernatural that you can just go with it as a surreal thing. But when she comes in and she's like, yeah, he raped me and then uh, I was into it. And so now we're in love. It's not stylized or heightened enough for it to seem just like part of the craziness of this movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't argue with you on these yeah. things. So. Yeah, I don't even know where so we we're are. So we're at three. We're <laughs> now just summarizing now the, the whole dudes, film. Now the dude's in the hospital, his buddy. Who's in the, who, right, who took credit for the, and he's in a coma because he killed his wife and kid also. Yeah, he killed his wife and kid. Which we don't see, we just hear about. And so. I think in, in earlier in the movie when they are talking on the phone, this 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 guy is he's like the town record keeper, Something I guess. Like that. And that was why Rupert Everett always talks to him because he's saying, "All you got to do is file this form about the zombies, and someone will take care of it." And Rupert Everett is like, "I don't want to file a form. It's easier to just shoot the zombies in the head." Which I thought was funny in a comment on bureaucracy. And I think they joke about the guy complaining about his wife and kid. And Rupert Everett says, oh, you could just go kill them. And then he does. And yeah, so then they're in the hospital now. And like a nun comes and a priest and a doctor. And he just shoots them all. He just kills them all for no reason at all. He's really, really taking it too far this time. Yeah. So yeah, I, by that point, I was like, 
I don't understand anything about this movie anymore. And I've lost my ability to just go with whatever weird stuff they throw at me. And they've kind of ruined this fun, likable character and made him this cold-blooded murderer. And all of the stylized weirdness was no longer enough for me. And then it snows at the end. Right, because they're all they're inside a snow globe. That's it's like the ending of Saint Elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? They're inside a snow globe. I think that was what time? we were meant to uh, believe at the end. I, what I remember from the end. Oh yeah, so that so that this is how we get there. So Rupert Everett is going to drive Nyagi out of town and like let's go see the world. They're going to film in Louise this. Yeah, thing, they're right? running away from their problems and from zombies and from yeah. the police. But then the world just ends. There's like a, a highway and it just stops. And if you keep driving, you Thelma and Louise yourself. Right, you drive yeah. off their, their town is essentially the, the whole, their whole world. Right. So they stop like literally, you know, right at the edge and uh, Rupert Everett's very upset and exhausted and, you know, confounded. And Nagi is also the same way. And uh, he takes Rupert Everett's gun and he throws it over the cliff and he says, can we go home now? And Rupert Everett says, yeah. Because right. they have apparently switched personalities. Right. Or something along those lines. Or maybe they haven't. We don't know. But now we know that he can talk. and But he couldn't talk before. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And then and the snow. The end. That's it. So did you like it? Um, can you like it? <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people do like it. I mean, there, aside from these these mixed reviews that came out at the time, but the reason we're talking about it is because it has a massive cult following. There I can't say I like it. It's brilliant. I've enjoyed this conversation more than I enjoyed <laughs> the film. So I did not like it, but I did not hate it because it was just so just out there. I was like, I guess like I'm going to just keep watching this thing, right. which I would have anyway, because it's part of, you know, the deal here. <laughs> That's good to know that you're not just watching half of the movies. I'm not like Dave just watching previews <laughs> and calling it a day. Hey, I don't watch anything. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I think I kind of agree with you is that I, I don't know if I really liked it, but I liked that I watched it and uh, I kind of went with it for a little bit and then I wasn't able to keep going with it. Um, but people get a lot out of this movie. They find it brilliant. And, and I can see how maybe if you're on the right wavelength of this movie, it could just really speak to you. Do you mean drugs? Yeah, maybe. If you're on the right drugs? Maybe. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that is uh, the case. So out of two vomited upon dresses or five, five. vomited upon dresses, I clearly gave it two. So. Yeah, I would give it two and a half. I, I, I kind of split the difference and uh, right down the middle. But I give Anna Fauci four and a half. Yeah. All right. She is, she is gorgeous. Uh, yes. I agree with you and, and, and a good actor. I mean, she it's sometimes, yeah. yeah, it's sometimes hard to judge the acting in these kind of movies because again, everything is dubbed, including yeah. like Rupert Everett's own lines. He's dubbed. I over. thought all the acting was good. The three yeah. major, you know, you know, Miyagi, did you like his I performance? Did. I did. <laughs> yeah. I would have liked to have played that role. Yeah. <laughs> I could see you as, as Nyagi. Uh, you're, you know, vomiting and spitting and it was a little too much bodily fluid for me in this movie. I think that was maybe the least of the worries going, uh, coming out of it, but okay. Yeah. Uh, so we'll come back and talk a little bit about the legacy of Cemetery Man. Hey, I'm Danny. 
And I'm Jazz. And together we are the Feature Podcast, where we talk about movies and everyday life. Be sure to listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes Podcast Network. And be sure to follow us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at The Feature Show. And Facebook, it's The Feature Show with backslash Danny and Jazz. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year and our season on the films of 1994. In this episode, we're talking about a cult classic, Cemetery Man, uh, a.k.a. De La Morte, De La More. And legacy-wise, obviously, the big thing here is that this has become a, a cult classic. It's got quite a following among weirdos. And, uh, I mean, look, maybe we got to verify this, but I did see that Martin Scorsese called it one of the best Italian films of the 1990s. I, too, saw that, and I think that was just, like, on a Wikipedia somewhere, so right. it's possible that's not true. But I could absolutely see that being the case. Yeah, Bloody Disgusting gave it five out of five stars and called it one of the greatest cult films of the last 20 years. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, fans of uh, this uh, thing. <laughs> yes yes there are um but weirdly enough this seems to have been like the 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 peak of michelle suave the director of his career and uh since then he um has made like some tv movies yeah and he definitely hasn't done anything that's amassed nearly this amount of attention or acclaim right and there was talk of a sequel in 2011 and uh i think it's time. Yeah. <laughs> Is it time? Would for you I see the sequel? I mean, of course I would see it. Yeah. yeah. I'd be curious to know what the hell he's going to do with it. Um, I don't know. Uh, really. It, I feel like the, the moment has probably passed. And is Rupert Everett really going to be on board for that? Was there ever really a moment for this? Do you need? I mean, you could make it his son. Yeah. You know, you can make it. He, Cemetery Man Jr. Right. Cemetery Boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> any of these things. So. Uh, uh, Della Morte, Della More, More. Oh, yeah. It's 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 Amore anyway. <laughs> I know Della Morte, More Della More. <laughs> I got nothing. No, it's nice effort though. So. Um, yeah, but even and we we mentioned this a little earlier because uh, I we talked about warm bodies, but I think as weird as this movie is, you can see how it has had an influence on kind of zombie romance or zombie comedy i guarantee you edgar wright saw this movie before he made Shaun of the dead listen here's what it really did zombie equal rights <laughs> they deserve love too we're not here to judge you know if we want to have a pride parade for zombie love let's do it i'm cool i like pride parades okay that wasn't where i was going with it but uh zombie pride um yeah but i think if you you want to talk about Shaun of the dead warm bodies Zombie Land, uh, the current TV series I Zombie. You think that, this all? You think this influenced all these? Yeah, I mean, maybe not as the only influence, but I mean, if we were on the Piecing It Together podcast and talking about any of those movies, I would absolutely cite this as an influence. What about uh, Rupert Everett, though, man? He he had a he had a good hot moment with my best friend's wedding, and and uh, maybe one or two other films. And it's like he's got a lot of talent. I'd like to yeah. see him do more. Yeah, I agree. I definitely wrote uh, Rupert Everett as unlikely leading man as uh, as a potential legacy of this movie. Um, yeah, he's like this is a weird thing for him to be the star of, but he pulls it off. Even all of the crazy, inexplicable 
twists and things that happen to his character. He does it all. He does it all. Yeah. No, I mean, I think watching this movie, I thought Rupert Everett maybe deserved a bigger career after this rather than just being relegated to like the witty gay best friend kind of character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother topic is did, did him opening up about his sexuality affect his career? Yeah. That's not for me to decide. No, no. But it's possible that especially in the 90s, you know, maybe now yeah. uh, it wouldn't have been as much of an issue. He's good. He's very he's got good comic timing and yeah, you know, he's, he's funny. So, I mean, look, maybe we get a series of him and Nagi. Yeah, a, cops kind of a road trip thing. Yeah. yeah, the trip. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> let's do something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think in general, uh, the this sort of surreal style of Italian horror uh, remains pretty influential. Uh, even just this year, in the past couple years, we had a remake of Dario Argento's Suspiria and uh, a couple movies I saw this year that I, I liked a lot, Piercing and In Fabric and Knife and Heart, all are heavily influenced by this surreal style and are often completely nonsensical. So how is the prevalence of it right now? Uh, do you think this genre is still going strong in Italy and America, it's kind of not at all. There's well, I think in a way um, it's, I don't know if it's going strong in Italy, but there is a huge, I mean, not in, in the mainstream, but there's a definite movement in independent films in Europe and North America that are heavily influenced by Italian horror. Those movies that I mentioned are some of the most acclaimed movies of the last year. Um, there's a directing team, I believe they're French, and of course I can't remember their names, but they made a movie called Let the Corpses Tan last year, and they did a couple, uh, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears and uh, Amer, and all three of those were like huge festival movies and very acclaimed. I mean, they're not mainstream, but they're, they're very much neo-giallo uh, kind of uh, new versions of Italian horror, and you watch those, and I've only seen Let the Corpses Tan, but those are movies where it's all style over, like it doesn't make any sense and it's just constant surrealism and weird violence. And so I think this, this kind of thing is very influential right now, but not in the mainstream. Don't worry, producer Dave. I got this one. The directors you were mentioning are Helene Catet and Bruno Forzani. There you go. Um, yeah. And I, I would recommend like any of those things that I mentioned their their film, let the corpses tan and their other films as well. Uh, Nicholas Pesci's Piercing, uh, um, Peter Strickland's In Fabric from last year, as well as his other films, uh, Barbarian Sound Studio and uh, The Duke of Burgundy um, and Knife and Heart from this year. So, yeah, I think this influence, I mean, and, and certainly Cemetery Man is not the only movie that influenced those. It's, it's Argento, it's Mario Bava, it's all that stuff. But Michelle Suave is a big part of it. And it would be interesting to go back and kind of look at what influenced this genre all the way back to like Shenandelu or something like, yeah, they're so strange. Uh, but Hey man, we did it, baby. Yeah. Hey, cemetery man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey there cemetery man. That's how we'd start the sequel. Hey, you're the cemetery man, aren't you? Well, I got a job for you. I got a garden that needs tending. You ever tend a garden? This is a terrible sequel. <laughs> well, the movie was terrible. So remember that. <laughs> the movie was not terrible. <laughs> no. Uh, any any other final thoughts on the legacy of Cemetery Man? Uh, it, yeah, the only other final thought I had is what a magical time the the years of VHS trading yes. that were the eighties and nineties. Yes. Yes. You know, um, there 
you can still find movies like this on Amazon, mostly on Amazon, I'd say more than Netflix and Hulu and everything, but it's tougher. There's not really those communities and those discussions, uh, at least not in person without video stores, but I guess online, you know, you can find uh, people who, are, who will uh, have those discussions with you. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I think if I had stumbled across this on VHS uh, when I was a teenager, I would have been super into it. Uh, so that is Cemetery Man, a.k.a. De La Morte De La More, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can find us on social media. We are on social media, and guess what, guys? It's still the same as it was last time. AwesomeMovieYear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram, Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter, GoForJason.com. You can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com and joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And our producer, David Rosen, has his great Piecing It Together podcast. You can find us at piecingpod.com, piecingpod on Twitter, piecing it together on Facebook, and the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group, where I know there's been a few conversations about Italian horror, so if you're into that stuff, maybe you'll find people to talk about it with. Start a new combo. Yes. What's up next, Jason? Well, Josh, it is our season finale. Aw, already? (laughs) And this is our Audience Choice Award. And um, we, it was 1994, the year Jim Carrey exploded onto the big screen, right? Yes. All in 1994, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. So we left it up to the fans. Uh, They voted on social media. And we will be covering the mask. Da, 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 oh, sorry, drum roll afterwards. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, next week, we'll do the mask. We're talking about Jim Carrey's The Mask next week. So tune in for that. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. 